0: Please be advised that on Wednesday, May 19, 2021, at 7 p.m., there will be a committee of the whole meeting held through remote participation, pursuant to Governor Baker's March 12, 2020, order suspending certain provisions of the Open Meeting Law, Chapter 30A, Section 18, and the Governor's March 15, 2020, order imposing strict limitations on the number of people that may gather in one place. This meeting of the Medford School Committee will be conducted for remote participation to the greatest extent possible. Specific information and in the general guidelines for remote participation by members of the public and our parties. Where the right and a requirement to attend this meeting can be found on the City of Medford website at www.medfordma.org. For this meeting, members of the public who wish to listen or watch the meeting may do so by accessing the meeting link contained herein. No in-person attendance of members of the public will be permitted, but every effort will be made to ensure that the public can adequately access the proceedings in real time via technological means. In the event that we are unable to do so, despite best efforts, we will post on the City of Medford and Medford Community Media websites an audio or video recording, transcript, or other comprehensive record of proceedings as soon as possible after the meeting. The meeting can be viewed through Medford Community Media on Comcast Channel 22 and Verizon Channel 43 at 7 p.m. You can call in by using 1929 205 6099. Please enter meeting ID 913 5189 6187 when prompted. Additionally, questions or comments can be submitted during the meeting by emailing SC at medford.k12.ma.us. Those submitting must include the following information, your first and last name, your Medford street address, your question or comment. The agenda will be as follows. Discussion of the devel- development of the operating budget and budgetary priorities of the Medford public schools for fiscal year 2022. As it pertains specifically to central office of the Medford public schools, including a variety of departments under the auspices of the Office of Superintendent and the Office of Finance and Operations. Summary of the Medford Public School budget presentations made throughout the course of all five Committee of the Whole budget meetings on May 3rd, May 6th, May 13th, May 18th, and May 19th. Signed, Dr. Maurice Edward Vincent, Superintendent of Schools. I will turn it over to Dr. Edward Vincent and Mr. Murphy to get us started. Uh, after we call the roll, <laughs> sorry. After Member McLaughlin calls the roll, sorry, Dr. Edward Vincent.
1: <clears throat> Member Graham here. Member Quets here. Member McLaughlin here. Member Mustone here. Member Russo here. Member Van de Kloot here. Mayor Longo Kern
0: present. Seven present. None absent. Now I will turn it over. Thanks.
2: Thank you. Um, good evening, Mayor Longo Kern, and members of the school committee. Um, Tonight is our fifth time gathering to discuss the budget. We're gonna be focusing this evening on central office. Again, the office of the superintendent, operations, finance, safety, um, family engagement, human resources and building and grounds. So um, without much further ado, I'm gonna pass the baton on to uh, Mr. Murphy. And I just wanna thank him again and his team and Michelle uh, Kingdon for all the work that they're doing um, during this budget process. Thank you, Mr. Murphy.
3: Thank you, superintendent, uh, mayor, members of the school committee. It's a pleasure to be with you again this evening for our fifth uh, committee of the whole uh, meeting focused on the FY22 budget. Um, As the superintendent uh, mentioned uh, tonight, we'll be focused on uh, elements of the central office, uh, specifically uh, the offices uh, that are under both uh, the superintendent and my own uh, supervision. Um, well, as we go through the beginning of the program, as as we have each time, uh, we'll be uh, looking at the org chart and talking specifically about uh, the offices whose uh, budgets are are here. Uh, in light of the fact that uh, these are the offices that are that m- myself and the superintendent work the most closely with, um, while Dr. Cushing, Ms. Calusi, Ms. Bowen are here, uh, with the exception of Director McLaughlin, um, we will be the
4: Uh, really the only committee, uh, both last night
3: and a few minutes ago, um, we will be having a budget update on the school committee agenda this coming Monday, May 24th. Uh, and we'll certainly be picking up um, questions and comments at that point, uh, incorporating and and taking in your feedback. uh, And uh, that will go into uh, the development of the recommendations that come before you prior to your uh, June 1st statutory hearing. So uh, with that, uh, I will uh, start as we always do with uh, the timeline uh, for our uh, budget process, beginning with the development of the district's uh, strategic goals and priorities leading to a series of, um, some administrators might say, seemingly endless uh, administrative uh, meetings internally in which we uh, vet various proposals and comments, questions, and suggestions from uh, principals uh, and other uh, stakeholders. Um, I've used this uh, fleeting flowchart since uh, the beginning of the process, just to show uh, for folks who are perhaps uh, watching this evening but have not been following along, for each of the various uh, budget presentations, both at regular school committee meetings, budget subcommittee and uh, the committee of the whole meetings. This is where we are uh, right now, leading up to that June 1st uh, public hearing in which members of the community will be invited to speak either for or against, or uh, a a favorite for those who follow uh, municipal presentations, uh, those wishing to speak neither for nor against uh, the budget in part or in whole. And again, that will take place on June 1st but there will be a budget update on Monday, an opportunity to comment and engage in further discussion. We've used the org chart in each of these presentations, uh, just as uh, by way of uh, showing uh, folks, perhaps outside of the Medford public schools community, which area of the organization we're focused on in this particular meeting. So this is the overall org chart showing um, all the various uh, offices and and departments uh, reporting up to the superintendent. Uh, And then, these are the areas that we'll be discussing tonight. So you can see it's primarily the areas in my own portfolio, as well as those uh, reporting directly uh, to the superintendent. And you see the curvy arrow there on the right of the screen, uh, which is uh, indicating a a reorganization of sorts that uh, we'll be proposing as part of the FY22 budget. And that's something uh, I'll be going into greater detail about shortly. So as we've discussed into the budget presentations, the funding for the Metro public schools and the funding uh, generally for school districts across Massachusetts comes from various sources. Uh, the, what we often refer to as the chapter 70 allocation, which is the, uh, the state contribution under uh, state law coming out of ed reform law of 1993, and the funding that uh, each uh, school community and district are uh, entitled to. The local contribution, uh, which is the revenue generated from at the local level that is earmarked uh, for, the, for the school department, um, which in Medford is a very sizable portion of that, of the overall operating budget. Uh, and then the sort of uh, extenuating circumstances under which we're currently operating, uh, mean we have a significant influx of federal funding uh, coming in as a result of the COVID related legislation that has come in. And that is coupled with the sort of uh, standing external funds that come in on a year in and year out basis, um, particularly in the area of special education, uh, which we discussed at length at the May 6th uh, Committee of the Whole when we heard from the Office of Pupil Services. Uh, We've said that throughout the FY22 budget, uh, we've asked uh, those contributing to the development of this budget, meaning our department heads and our principals to focus essentially on three uh, primary buckets of areas in which uh, we're asking them what are their budgetary priorities, what are their needs, what are their challenges. Our first is personnel and staffing, and the committee's heard me say before that uh, when we're talking about school budgets, we're almost always talking about people. Um, we're an organization made up of people, educating people, hoping to make them better people and uh, people who are positioned to do well in their post-secondary lives. Uh, but that is that is always going to be the largest chunk of our budget because, um, you know, as we say sometimes in school finance, we're not we're not focused on widgets. We're we're focused on on uh, people in a community, and and that's always going to be the largest chunk. Materials and infrastructure, particularly under the challenging uh, conditions under which we're operating, are always going to uh, represent another uh, although albeit smaller uh, aspect of the budget. And training and professional development, which um, everything is is uh, we are looking at everything through a post-COVID context, but for training and professional development, when we think about the ways in which some of the uh, inequities both uh, within public education and society at large have uh, come into sharper relief as a result of the experience that we've all lived through. Uh, we are thinking um, very much in that context when we talk about what are our professional development and training uh, priorities and uh, what is it that we're looking uh, to invest in. And particularly when we're talking about the superintendent's priorities, um, while much of uh, what we're planning is will, will be supported by external fund- funding. Um, given that the budget development process is the opportunity to really look at the organization as a whole, see how we're structured, how we're organized, what it is that we're pursuing, what are our discrete challenges, what are our long-term overarching challenges. Uh, this really is an opportunity to sort of uh, pull the veil back on all of the Medford public schools. And my hope would be that um, throughout these uh, committee of the whole presentations, as we've heard from the various directors and school leaders, uh, my hope would be that both for the school committee and the members of the community, uh, who are either watching this in real time or perhaps watching it uh, subsequent to the presentations, uh, you'll see the effort toward transparency that we have employed to try to demonstrate for the community exactly what it is that we're doing. And I hope also the rationale behind these priorities. And this uh, slide talks a little bit about that rationale in that um, this is a, these are the questions that were posed that led to the development of these priorities and that we're thinking about what are the targeted and intensive interventions that we can invest in to help reduce or eliminate the learning or opportunity gaps that have either been caused by or exacerbated by the disruption to instruction that our students have faced as a result of the COVID-19 pandemic. And so um, there will come a time when our budgetary priorities and our goals are not informed fully by this experience and the disruption that our students have lived through. Uh, At least I certainly hope that's the case. One of the sort of constant refrains that we go back to is we're looking to make investments that will ensure our students' academic careers are not defined by this experience. And hopefully if we make these investments and we execute uh, on them wisely, that will be the case. But for right now, uh, coming out of these, uh, as cliche as it might sound, these unprecedented circumstances, we are looking to see how do we use the funding that's available to us from the local state and federal levels uh, to try to put them in the best position possible uh, despite the chaos that that we've all lived through. So uh, on April 26th, we presented to the school committee the uh, projections that we were looking at based on the preliminary information that we had uh, leading into these budget presentations, and we've estimated that uh, the necessary increase in the budget would be somewhere between $3.4 and $5.8 million, recognizing that there are a significant number of variables that are uh, essentially, not clear. While variable one, there are uh, restrictions on federal funding flowing in that uh, are still not particularly clear. And I appreciated the mayor's comments to that effect uh, last night, but we're continuing to engage in a very constructive dialogue with our partners in the, in the city government and uh, reaching out to our partners at the state level and elsewhere uh, to try to get clarity on that. Um, I think at this point, we feel comfortable that the priorities we've developed that we think of as having a strong nexus to the disruption caused by COVID will be uh, essentially eligible expenses. Uh, It's a question of from an administrative perspective, exactly how we'll go about uh, processing those and and exactly uh, how how realistic is it to do that. So I think we feel good about the priorities that we've identified as our COVID related, or potential ESSER related uh, priorities, but there's still a lot of uh, clarity that needs to come into uh, view in, in the coming weeks. In addition to that, we know we have fixed costs as every district does on a year in and year out basis. Uh, these are costs that are related to contractual obligations or uh, other situations that have essentially predated the development of this budget, um, but we know that they're going to lead to an increase in costs. Other variables also include the fact that we have uh, upwards of nine collective bargaining agreements that are expiring either at the conclusion of this school year or the conclusion of the summer. And so that's certainly a factor that we have to take into account uh, as we work through the development of this budget. This is just uh, information related to those uh, external funding, the numbers, the committee has seen several times before, so I won't uh, belabor it, but uh, we estimate about a $7.6 million. ESSER budget over the next uh, several years. And so uh, I wouldn't say that we necessarily see that as needing to be expended in equal installments over the three or four year period that we have. Um, But I would say that we want to be mindful of uh, the fact that we're going to have additional data that will hopefully point us to more strategic uses of the funding as time goes on. So it may not be the case it may be the case that some of the more immediate expenses are in the short term but the better use of the funding could be in year two or year three. And for that reason, uh, we are looking to be, um, I'm not sure I would use the word uh, conservative, but certainly cautious and cognizant of the implications of using that funding. And the fact is, as you've heard me say several times, um, th- these are one-time funds and the ESSER funding will not la- last forever. And so we have to be mindful of the uses being uh, taking care to not create unnecessary structural deficits. And at the same time, making sure that we're being responsive to the urgent needs of students. And so where we strike that equilibrium is a big part of the conversations that we have been having and that we will be having. So I'm gonna pause for one second before we move on to buildings and grounds and just talk a little bit about um, what you'll see over the next couple of slides. In this, but I'm glad that I, I flashed to it quickly so that uh, can tell um, Mr. McLaughlin that he's on next as I uh, continue to uh, babble for another minute or so. But um, the departments that you're seeing, starting with buildings, and we're gonna start with buildings and grounds and then move to the more umbrella offices of the superintendent's office and the office of uh, finance and operations. And if you think back to the organizational chart that we start at the beginning of the presentation, uh, you can see that for both myself and Dr. Edward Vincent, um, there are a lot of priorities and funding and and strategic investments and proposals that cut across the different departments and offices that you've already heard from. And, uh, that's a, that's a good thing because, uh, what we don't want to do is, um, present a budget to you in the form of 25 siloed or overly departmentalized mini organizations. Um, we want common themes and common strategic priorities that cut across. And so what you'll see in the bullets that we've identified are pieces, uh, that are either are reflective of those priorities or, or, or operational pieces that are meant to put us in a position that um, we'll be able to uh, actually do you know, pursue those priorities and do, and do so successfully. Um, similar to the, uh, the information technology uh, budget that we our budget proposals that we discussed in last night's committee of the whole, a large portion, uh, arguably all frankly, of the buildings and grounds priorities are capital related expenses and so the the sort of the general rule of thumb that i think members of the committee are familiar with so i'll, I'll just provide a brief summary uh, is that something that is a year-to-year maintenance issue uh that is essentially routine i think routine was the word that we used in the technology presentation that's something that we typically are going to incorporate one way or another into our operating budget um, something that is a one-time expense and I'm using the term one time in the context of municipal budgeting. And so one time could mean every 10 years, every 15 years, every 20 years, but certainly not on an annual basis. Um, that's something that we're gonna look up to as a capital expense that we're gonna try to keep off the operating budget for purposes of not uh, creating some of those those deficits that we've talked about. What we do when we have a large influx of federal funding, uh, frankly, similar to how uh, we handled the funding that came in uh, during FY21, uh, and, and to some extent in FY20 as well, uh, is to try to address some of the most urgent priorities and needs that might in, other, in another context be considered a capital expense. But in light of the urgency, we're looking to just uh, take what funding is available and make sure that that's addressed. That was certainly the case as is reflected in the Buildings and Grounds budget narrative that was provided to you today uh, with regard to our HVAC repairs that we needed to uh, expedite and, and accelerate at the beginning of this school year for purposes of getting students and staff back into the uh, physical school buildings. And so uh, I expressed my appreciation for Mr. Gl- Mr. McLaughlin and members of his team who partnered with the external uh, experts that we brought in uh, to make that a, a reality. Um, the history as to how we got to the place where so much work was necessary, I think has, has been addressed uh, at length in previous meetings. But um, however we got here, We are in a much better position from an air quality perspective because that work was done uh, throughout the course of this year and now we're looking at some of the other heavy infrastructure pieces that may not land in the operating budget for FY22 but are critical priorities that need to be addressed in the in the near term and I'm going to ask Mr. McLaughlin if he could to walk us through some of these. Um as yeah. we're talking about how these investments need to be made in the coming uh, year or months. So uh, John, do you want to take it from there and, and just start maybe with uh, the generator and transformer electrical issues that we have <clears throat> been identified at the high school and at the Andrews, and then we'll we'll walk through some of the other pieces uh, and then, um, and then sure. from there From there, we'll move on to uh, finance operations in the superintendent's office and then'll we'll go, go to questions after that.
5: Excellent. Uh, Good evening, Mayor, Superintendent, members of the school committee and administrators on tonight's meeting. So first issue, Transformer AMPS break is electrical projects at Mefford High School, Andrews Middle School. So I think that we are aware of the fact that the emergency generator, um, one of the emergency generators at Mefford High School needs to be replaced. We have um, discussed it. We're on the road to getting an RFP and pricing information to uh try to get that project did audio
6: drop away? out for anybody else
5: no you guys
1: can still hear yes all right
6: i can hear but when david was talking it cut out for a little bit and then came back going.
5: just for a second it did yes you've
3: probably heard from me enough in the last week or two so I thought mm-hmm. it's probably the best but <laughs> i think we're good john
5: Okay, good. So the Andrews uh, School—that issue has already been uh, squared away out of my regular budget. Uh, There um, was—we did uh, electrical uh, infrared scans of all the buildings, and there was an issue with a uh, with a breaker at the Andrews that we uh, have repaired. Um, So that's good. Um, We also have a transform. I
6: can't hear, Mister McLaughlin. Oh, I don't know. I'm
5: able to hear
3: him. Okay.
0: Me too. I can hear him fine. I wonder what's up.
1: Um, now, now I can, but I'll say, mayor Excuse me, mayor, I, I He dropped off for me for a good minute. So oh boy!
5: You want him to start yeah. over, Mel- Melanie? Would you like like me to Kathy, start? Can over? you
6: hear him now? I, I, yeah, I I lost. I couldn't hear you either, John.
5: Okay, I don't know. I got the hot spot going. I, I, you know, yeah. I've been preparing for this for a while. So. <laughs> So anyway, so, uh, yeah, so the amp, uh, the breaker or the amp, uh, trans, uh, the breaker was replaced at the Andrews middle school. So we're, uh, we're back where we need to be. Um, it was part of a, uh, we had had, a, um, insurance, uh, inspection, infrared scan of all the electrical systems. up at the uh, the high school uh, or through all school, excuse me. And um, so we were able to take care of that off of my regular operations budget. So we do, we also, we know about, we know about the emergency generator um, that's getting ready uh, to go out for an RFP. Also the transformer, um, the transformer uh, is an original equipment at Medford High School. So what happened was, is when, Years ago, it had PCBs in it, so we had to uh, take out the PCBs and put another type of oil on it. And what ends up happening with that is the um, the rubber uh, seals tend to give way. So I'm in the process of, uh, of obtaining um, a quote. I, I, I have it. I just got it today to uh, overhaul the transformer and um, make sure that uh, make sure we can get that back to where we need to uh, to be it's a little bit low on oil it's still running but it's it's certainly something that has to uh take priority because it it also functions as one third of the power at Mefford high school so we've uh so so we'll have the pricing information ready to go on that and um that would be a summer project obviously with uh with the generator if if and when we're ready to uh take that pro- project on um, this year we had some security enhancements. We had a new Raptor system uh, uh, put in all of the monitors at this point in time. I've had training on the new Raptor system. If you don't know the Raptor system is a, uh, where you come in, you give your license, they scan it. If everything's okay, you get a tag, you're, you're ready to go to the main office to conduct uh, business that uh, you need to conduct in any of our schools. Um, so every Three or four years, uh, we like to get the parking lot done. Usually it's uh, all of them, should I say, system-wide. Um, parking lots restriped. This starting to get old. Um, we did want to make some adjustments at Medford High School, which we'll be meeting about as far as a handicapped parking situation goes. I know we've had that conversation when we were talking about the front entrance, and I think what we want to do is move two handicapped spots, to the front loop of Medford High School f- and um, to access the handicap ramp that's, that's right there. So that would be, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll overhaul it. Um, I did talk to Mayor Lungo Kern last week. So if I need any help, we do have the traffic uh, department in, um, down at City Hall they will be more than happy to help us. We did meet with them a couple of years ago. Uh, to try to make some improvements, but as you know, as we all know, this this past year hasn't been the typical year that we normally um, the normally uh, deal with uh, the Curtis Tough boiler project. So last winter the boiler started to leak. Um, these are all things that we'll probably be bringing up next week in in in, uh, in the subcommittee meeting. So we ordered some pieces that have to be reinstalled. So a uh, uh, sectionals. So we, we were able to obtain two sectionals that they're going to replace, and that should stop the leaking, we hope. And um, that's, you know, that's going to be, uh, it's, it's going to be significant uh, money uh, that we have to spend on it and um, HVAC enhancements. So we, we know that we've done a lot of that. At this point in time, we're getting air conditioning up and running. So there are associated pro, uh, problems with that, certain particular areas here and there that uh, we need to bring in our contractor to um, to fix them up. Uh, this is by law, we have to offer heat till May 15th. So this is, would be the week that we do the turnover. Unfortunately, it's been hot this week, which you know it's it's a crapshoot, but it has been hot this week. So uh, some of some of the um, some of the, the teachers and classrooms have been a little bit uncomfortable. But we're we're working on it. We know you're there. We're going to get out there and take care of uh, whatever we need to do as soon as we can, as soon as um, possible. We'll be uh, calling in the contractor. I'm just trying to get one list of of um, what we need to have done and which buildings that need to be done. Um, the restroom rehabilitation project. So with me and Dave, we have met with the architect. Um, I believe that we we're waiting just to get the go-ahead and, and to see and, and and do RFPs for that project. It, it was I know that this is a um project of Mefford High School that's going to be near and dear to a lot of people up uh, upgrading the restrooms. Um, We do want to, I know that uh, the mayor requested us to look into uh, seeing how many that we can do. I believe that if we get a price on one, we'll know where we stand and then we can uh, move forward uh, as far as we can from there. The main entrance rehabilitation project, um, we're still kind of waiting to uh, see see where we're going to go with that. I did one of our guys uh, that works in the custodian department. Um, he uh, He's a Mason. So he volunteered to go out and, you know, try to fix the wall, the granite wall up a little bit. So he's out there today working. I mean, it's, you know, it's hopefully you can make it look a little bit better, but it's still going to be what, uh, what it is. And then, you know, we can certainly meet, on the main entrance and i think we'll talk and discuss it next week in subcommittee uh, of how we want to move forward with that and uh, so every year i think in my budget i always ask for a pickup truck with a plow so that hasn't changed it would it would certainly um, it would certainly help in the snow would certainly help with other uh, various projects around the district if at some point we uh, get a uh, a, a, um, a pickup truck with a plow so that that way, you know, um, I can help the DPW. A lot of times they're moving around very quickly. And, you know, there are sometimes areas that need to be touched up that they can't get right back to because their main goal is the uh, roads around town. So it would certainly help with the efficiency uh, of uh, having something like that. Uh, available to us, a uh, pickup truck. Now, the renovation of the Karen Theater, and, and, and if you see my, my pre-budget report, I guess if I had a project that I would like to see happen, it would be adding air conditioning, railings, upgrading the doors, doing some electrical work in the theater. So um, a few years ago, I got a price I, and, and the prices are different now of $100,000 to add an AC unit to the roof in the theater. I think it would be beneficial to the community as well in um, generating uh, revenue as well for the, for the, for the school to, um, to maybe add that at some point, put that on our list of uh, capital improvements. Um, it's just like I said, if I had my choice of the project that I would want to do with the high school, that would be one of my main projects. Uh, renovation projects. And then, uh, we're always working on HVAC enhancement projects at the high school. Um, you know, at some point, you know, maybe we'll get some help from the MSBA, maybe be able to add, you know, air conditioning and, um, uh, to other parts of effort High School that, that don't have it right now. Meaning the science lab is the only real, uh, part of the building that does have air conditioning, um, service uh, you know except for window air conditioners that we have all around the place so i can't see the bottom i I think we're at the bottom okay yeah so um i'd be happy to uh entertain any questions that you might have about what's going on uh we will be entertaining most of them next week on the 26th we'll be having a subcommittee meeting back here on uh on zoom Uh, but i'd be more than uh welcome to answer any questions thank you
3: uh, thank you, John Mayor. Uh, I would recommend that we would just stick with our process of getting through the presentation, and then um, myself, John, Dr. Edwards, and others would be happy to answer questions in in total. If that's if that works for you, that's works for me. Okay, thank you. Um, so as we move over to the uh, the rest of the central administration, um, the uh, offices of the superintendent and and my own office. Um, we, we mentioned before that there are a number of departments that fit in within these large umbrellas. Buildings and grounds, certainly um, one of the largest and frankly, one of the most visible. And so we certainly, uh, that's why we asked uh, Mr. McLaughlin to be present tonight to talk about some of the specifics. And just really quickly on a, the last point with regard to his budget related to the HVAC enhancements uh, at the high school. It's a good example, uh, frankly, of that maintenance and capital distinction um when we upgraded the some of the filters uh, around the high school in order to enhance air quality, uh, we we incurred an additional fixed cost with regard to filter replacement. Part of uh, using the the higher grade filters is that um, we moved from a twice yearly to a four a quarterly uh, replacement system. That's not a significant cost, uh, frankly, for the district, but it's a maintenance cost. As opposed to a boiler, or a transformer generator, um, one of these pieces that we certainly, we have no expectation that we would be uh, incurring costs on an annual basis. And that's something that um, we, would, we would incorporate into a capital budget and capital planning in the years ahead. So with regard uh, to the superintendent's uh, budget and, and the office of finance and operations budget, um, there are pieces of this that, um, as I mentioned before, are interconnected with some of the other priorities and some of the other um, strategic investments that have been recommended uh, to you. And um, first with regard to the, to the superintendent's budget, you've heard our focus throughout the course of uh, this year, uh, excuse me, this, throughout the course of this budget development process on making sure that we're identifying professional development and training opportunities for staff that are consistent with the needs of the district during uh, this post COVID context and um, well, the seventy five thousand dollars, which it actually might be a little bit lower than that because it's going to be spread out over um, two or three fiscal years, um, so it'll be it'll be a little lower than that. Um, we've identified professional development opportunities uh, that will be intensive and will be responsive uh, to the context in which um, the, our, the district will continue to function in the years ahead. Um, and so we have some specific social and emotional uh, professional development, uh, as well as uh, implicit bias training uh, that will actually begin at the tail end of fiscal year uh, 21 and then carry over into the succeeding fiscal years open uh, uh, to staff generally at the beginning and administrators. Um, it'll be a, a required program uh, toward, toward the end of the summer of 2021. So um, if either Dr. Edward Vincent or Dr. Cushing want to talk a little bit about, um, a little more about um, the benefits and how we see this training as, as fitting in um, to the, the overall strategy that we've been advocating for throughout this process. And just one final point as a matter. Um, it, I do anticipate that the majority of this funding, of this of this, uh, these expenses, will be covered by some of the external funds that we referenced uh, at the beginning of the presentation. So Title II uh, in particular, as well as potentially some of the ESSER funding, but Title II specifically, um, will be used both to cover the costs that will be incurred for the FY21, uh, portion and then uh, moving into FY22 as well. So um, I'm not sure uh, if either Dr. Uh, you might raise sure.
2: sure thanks. Um, I just wanted to um, stress the value and importance of quality professional development and truly in working in collaboration with Dr. Cushing as well. Um, in order to address some of the significant shifts that we're going to be making next year especially in the area of social-emotional learning. Um, one of the areas that um, was a charge by the school committee was in terms of how the district will be addressing suspension, which does fall under the umbrella of social-emotional learning, um, behaviors, etc. So that is definitely a large priority for us. And that is one of the targeted areas for professional development. In addition to that, We are going to be continuing our pursuit of understanding and greater professional development on implicit bias and the implications for our school communities. We also are going to be um, having additional professional development on best practices as um, instructional leaders and educators in regards to the educator evaluation system to um, increase accountability across all of our schools. So those are three large buckets. And when we're addressing implicit bias, that does also address um, cultural proficiency, anti-racist work, um, anti-hate. So all of those initiatives are very important um, as we are shifting as a district to meet the needs of all of our students and um, the greater community. Um, We also will continue looking at um, disability awareness um, and finding ways again, how that overlaps with biases that do exist out there. So I just wanted to stress that although you see um, our priority district-wide priorities on professional development, in order to shift mindsets and really um, present Uh, new information, professional development is critically important. So I just wanted to stress that piece. Thank you.
3: Thank you, Superintendent. Um, Dr. Cushing, anything uh, you wanted to add based on your involvement with these programs?
7: Yes, um, just real quickly, the superintendent did a marvelous job explaining the positions that we're looking to move forward with. We also, what we're doing is we are going to be the, in the end of June, offering a train the trainer program for the implicit bias and social emotional learning in the classroom. And each of those courses will have 20 uh, staff members across the district uh, trained to be able to then deploy the district to deploy the professional development within the district. And what this model is going to allow us to do is it's gonna allow us to be very cost effective, but then it's gonna also allow us to deploy the professional development across the year in a way that best fits Medford's needs Um, and we'll be able to better um, engage our staff um, with their peers and their um, school leaders be them directors or principals or assistant principals um, who are going to take these trainings and then we'll turn around and be able to deploy this world-class professional development for them. Um, and I think it's a great opportunity for Medford to take the next step in providing the best professional development possible for our staff.
3: Thank you, uh, Dr. Cushing. Um, and then uh, turning to the, the finance and operations office. And um, as you can see, there's a, there's a few different bullets here. I'm gonna, I'm gonna focus on uh, three, including transportation that I believe has its own slide and it does, thanks. Um, but, but so, first, the first two. Um, I ref, this was alluded to uh, during last night's presentation. Um, and I believe it came up in the context of the priority identified by the English learner department of uh, wanting to uh, invest in an in opportunity to build out um, our, our essentially, our family engagement and our, our community relations uh, efforts. And I made made the point at the time that uh, part of why we haven't identified a specific investment in the EL department specifically for FY22 is because we have a district investment that we are hopeful uh, will advance that cause. And we'll be working closely with the EL department, health services department, special education and elsewhere. Um, I think that when we think about how we structure the organization and and how we uh, organize Specific portfolios of work. Um, there, as a, as a general rule, um, the best practice is to identify the need, uh, identify either the need that's being met or a need that develops as a result of other change variables, uh, and then determine how best to uh, develop roles and portfolios that fit together in an organizational structure that can advance those goals. There are times, however, when there are a confluence of events where we have uh, individuals serving in leadership roles um, with a, a available capacity uh, and needs that are emerging and becoming more urgent. And the, the sort of confluence uh, occurred throughout the course of this school year. Uh, and, and I will be frank, one of the ways it came to our attention was when we needed to deploy our entire administrator unit into schools to serve as substitute teachers. and. Um, When it became clear how that was taxing and and virtually impossible, um, and we tried to make different modifications, um, our director of before and after school programming uh, continued to volunteer to take that on and kept communicating to us, as she had for for some time, that she uh, felt as though um, there there was room in her portfolio uh, for additional responsibilities and um, the sort of confluences, the confidence that uh, we have in, in the individual as an administrator and as a leader. And the fact that um, how we've sort of uh, gotten through this school year um, by in, in being able to identify practices that we can improve and, and work that we can do better in the uh, area of parent and family engagement was uh, by enlisting the assistance of uh, Diane Caldwell and a former su- associate superintendent who has very ably um, uh, worked as the the lead manager of the parent information center. Um, and I will say as someone who was new to the district and uh, inherited the, the parent information center in, as part of my portfolio um, in my first week uh, without Ms. Caldwell uh, being available to provide that leadership and to provide that guidance and institutional knowledge, um, it would have been uh, a much, much more challenging year, not just with regard to oversight of the pick, but with regard to um Essentially, all other elements of, of the work that myself and other uh, senior administrators are responsible for. But um, we've known since the beginning that Ms. Caldwell as the administrator of the parent information center is not was not a permanent solution. Um, and trying to to operate within our uh, budgetary uh, parameters, um, we weren't necessarily looking to fund a director of the of the parent information center uh, as just a, as a single position with no other Responsibilities, and so Miss Fiddler carries uh, willingness and eagerness to take on additional responsibility, and what we felt is a, a, a strong natural nexus uh, between the Parent Information Center and the Before and After School Program, as well as the, the, the additional um, uh, capacity that we needed to um, needed in the in the in the realm of of family relationships with regard to transportation. Um, we felt that this fit together as a legitimate. Um, full administrative portfolio. And so as part of the FY22 budget, uh, we are proposing to reorganize those offices into one umbrella uh, uh, area of family engagement that will include oversight of the Parent Information Center, uh, continued oversight of the Before and After School program, and service as a transportation liaison. Now, all of these roles, um, frankly, one of the reasons they fit together is that it is different parts of the school year where they require a greater degree of attention and and uh, and detail. And so um, it's sort of, it, that's why I say it's sort of a confluence in that it fit together nicely in terms of putting together a full 12 month position um, with someone who already has the institutional knowledge uh, and has done strong work for the district um, in the past. And that's part of why um, being able to do so uh, efficiently but also uh, with confidence as to how that would um, more effectively advance the district's goals with regard to uh, both family and community partnerships um, is, is part of uh, how that proposal has developed. So that's one piece. And then you see um, as it was also mentioned uh, last night that um, we've established a grant coordinator position Um, that alone is, is a sort of a non uh, budgetary uh, doesn't necessarily have an effect on the operating budget and that the, the grants that The individual who has been serving as an essentially an unofficial grant coordinator for some time, uh, but technically in the role of an executive assistant, um, is someone able. We've been able to move that person into the uh, the finance and operations office, um, working with uh, Michelle Kingdon and her staff to ensure that um, we are uh, meeting all of our obligations uh, and um, executing from a compliance perspective as effectively as possible. That is different, and I want to point this out. It's certainly different than the grant uh, grant writer uh, uh, role that we currently we don't have, but we're exploring other op- other ways in which we might be able to free up some capacity to give uh, administrators the opportunity to be well positioned to cultivate external partnerships and and um, and pursue grant opportunities uh, that our grant coordinator would then have uh, would then be in a position to help coordinate uh, and and try to. Uh, free up additional budgetary capacity uh, in, in that way. Um, before I move on to transportation, I'll just say, and again, it's a bit of a continuation from my conversation last night. Um, we have continued our partnership um, throughout uh, the this school year with uh, the management solution um, and Mr. Paquette who served as the interim uh, business administrator uh, between uh, Ms. Patterson and myself. Um, and we have the, the, the report that was commissioned is, is ready to uh, be um, provided to the school committee. Um, I have asked for an, uh, essentially an appendix to the report um, because um, when the report the report was done over the course of the school year and sort of bled into the, this uh, budget uh, development process, and um, I've asked Mr. Parquette if based on the retainer fee that we still have, um, he can complete uh, just essentially a, a short supplement to that um, that would take into account some of the changes that we've, we've put into, Ms. Kinu and myself have put into effect over the course of the last uh, several months. And so I anticipate providing that to the committee prior to the end of this fiscal year. Um, and then Mr. Parkett, our, our partnership with Tufts University that began as a partnership in the testing realm and has um, has, has uh, progressed to conversations within uh, a technology infrastructure uh, realm and something that I'm hopeful will will we'll be able to benefit from that with great efficiency over the course of the summer. Um, but then also we'll be looking to explore what other uh, external expertise uh, uh, can, uh, we, we should be retaining or potentially consulting with um, as, as we look toward FY22. So that's a high level overview. I'm gonna finish up with transportation and then um, I will move on to your questions. Um, if you remember the when we talked about the projections for FY22, uh, we had, uh, we're looking at about fifty-one thousand in increased costs. These are, I should just say quickly, because it was touched upon on May sixth. These are unrelated to our fixed costs in transportation related to our to special education. These are our uh, main our main vendor, Eastern Bus. The school committee entered into a, a three-year a new three-year contract in the spring of two thousand twenty. So we're completing the first of those of the three-year contract. As is always the case with contracts, there is an increase in the cost from a, on a year-to-year basis. Um, so we're looking at a fifty-one, approximately fifty-one thousand uh, dollar increase in that contract as part of our estimated two point one million dollar increase in fixed costs. Um, you've seen the next two numbers previously on April twenty-sixth uh, when there was a request made about the the MBTA um, passes. Um, that's that is a essentially an option that we're, we're making sure that the committee is aware of. Um, and then there were questions related to um, the what would essentially be the cost for additional um, yellow buses and potentially providing additional uh, eastern bus uh, capacity at the high school. It is we estimate somewhere about seventy five thousand dollars. The reason why I say that's zero to seventy five thousand dollars that in our conversations with the vendor, um, they have uh, I think, and I appreciate this, uh, it's not, I don't know that every vendor would, but they have um, uh, suggested that um, based on the the, the radius that the uh, district adopted prior to this school year, uh, it may be that with regard to elementary and middle school transportation, it may be possible to repurpose some of our existing capacity to provide at least one additional bus to the high school. We have meetings next week uh, with, the uh, bus vendor as well as the Medford Police Department um, where we'll be looking at a number of issues uh, both related to safety and planning out um, some of the development of routes and stops for the next school year over the course of the summer. Um, and so I I, I, don't, I frankly don't have a recommendation to the committee at this time related to whether we should add a second bus. I think it's clear that it's possible that we would be able to. And then I think it's a question of looking at the data as to where um, the, uh, the high school students are and whether there is a demand for that. Uh, I will say that in my uh, brief conversations with the high school administration, um, it's not entirely clear that we know that there is, there is a clear demand for this, which is something I think we do want to take into account. Um, but at the same time, um, if, you know, if the cost is somewhere between zero and $75,000 to provide something that could um, be much more convenient for students, uh, that's obviously something we'd want to, we, we would want to uh, consider. Um, I think, from a strategic perspective, we have to take into account that the MBTA passes obviously provide potentially more access, um, and you know you get into thinking about uh, student jobs, the opportunity to to go into the city. Um, there are other sort of like a city as a classroom experiences and experiential learning experiences that the MBTA passes could um, could yield uh, for students, and so. Um, We're looking at all of those options. And again, a common thread that's cut across all of the presentations um, is our uh, determination to establish effective extended school day and after school programming for our students in the 21-22 school year through use of the ESSER funds to ensure that we're providing as much remedial support as possible uh, coming out of the significant disruptions that students have faced. So I thank you uh, for your time and your indulgence with regard to that. Um, If you enjoyed the presentations when there were more um, uh, testimonials and witnesses for me to turn over the presentation to I promise you I enjoyed enjoyed that more uh, as well. Uh, But um, those are the, the presentations for Buildings and Grounds, the Office of Finance and Operations, as well as the superintendent's office. And at this time, I would be more than happy to take your questions.
0: Thank you, Mr Murphy. We have member Vandekloot then member Rousseau.
4: Thank you. Uh, I'm going to pick up right at the end about the um, uh, busing for the high school. Um, Dave, you've presented us with some interesting options. Um, Is the uh, but but with, you know, quite, quite big differences in pricing.
2: Um,
4: At this point, as you're building this budget, what are you, are you making a recommend, recommendation to us? Are we gonna, I mean, how are you going to factor in the cost into the budget? Well, if, I think the, the first, uh,
3: yeah, the, the first determination is if the committee is comfortable with the, the radius that was established last year with regard to the, the one mile radius for all grades with the exception of kindergarten. So if that's something that the committee wants to uh, stand by, Then the vendor has essentially said that one of the elementary schools is going to have excess capacity and so the existing contract that would be the 1.4 million dollars or something in that in that range for eastern bus is going to provide us with an additional school bus that i I think um I, i think we should probably consider use at the high school to expand that capacity the only my only hesitation is that if we didn't, it's possible that we could um, be repurposing that for after school and extended school day programming, uh, without that additional potential hundred thousand dollar cost, and you know, or at least it would defray that. So I think I think the first determination is um, is the committee comfortable with the one mile radius, which according to the vendor will not have a dramatic impact on uh, ridership, and it's essentially that's that's where we are now. Um, and if that's the case then I think the next step is to look at the data related to where high school students are residing and whether or not there's a route that makes sense um, where, where students are. Um, and I, I that, again, the only downside I would see in that plan um, is that the MBTA passes, you know, they, they don't just take you to school. And I think particularly for our high school students, there's a tremendous amount of experiential learning opportunities that having MBTA passes could open them up for and I, Only last thing. Only last thing I would say to that is that the MBTA pass has become a much better investment if we are tying programmatic opportunities uh, to their procurement. And I think that um, you know it may just take some time. Perhaps the summer is a sufficient amount of time to give our instructional leaders uh, the, the you know the time to develop those type, uh, types of opportunities that then maximize that potential investment. So.
4: So Dave, let's um, go back to one of the things you said about the mile radius. And I have to tell you, I really don't recall taking any vote on that. Um, so
3: but, so this, this, I, this was preceded my time, but my understanding is that when the reopening plan was presented to the school committee in mass as a, as a large sort of um, multifaceted plan, the radius was, was a piece of that. that and so the, routes, the the stops were adjusted. I, I also think, and I know this only anecdotally, that because ridership was so diminished this year, that there, if you're you typically you eliminate bus stops and you you hear a sort of wave of commentary that didn't materialize this year, and it may be because ridership was was so diminished uh, due to the pandemic. If that doesn't carry over to next year, that's something that you probably want to consider.
4: Yeah, I would be. Uh, I think it was perfectly understandable that our ridership diminished a great deal. I I know in Medford, there's been a history of um, some pl- students receiving uh, uh, bus service because of concerns about the, the roads where they live, um, the, the safety of it. So to just say automatically it's a mile, well, it's never been just automatically a mile. So,
3: no, the, an important point, and I, I apologize if that if that if I assume that that would go without saying, the radius has nothing to do with safety exemptions, and okay. so you know, your bus stop, that is I guess, part of the conversation that we're having next week. And it's why it's not just the district and the vendor. It's why the method Police Department will be represented as well. Um, because as we go through and looking at routes and stops, uh, we want to ensure that any stops that have been any concerns about related to safety are being looked at closely by public safety experts. And that is certainly, uh, you know, the safety exemptions override any other policies with regard to radius.
4: Yeah, well, part of it is Um, you know, perceive safety or it's been in place for such a long time, any move to take away uh, will certainly cause an uproar.
8: Um,
4: So it seems like I I hear you on the optimistic level, we're going to have some space uh, and so so we can utilize an existing bus. Um, That does sound very optimistic to me, Dave, and I am optimistic in general, but. uh, I'm not, so we can balance each
3: other out there. Yeah.
4: And at the high end, it's 350, which is a huge chunk of change. Um, And there are some, I'm just trying to say as we, with such a big number, it's hard to understand exactly where you're going to come down to in terms of what we're putting into the budget.
3: Yeah, just, yeah, that's all fair point. Uh, This data is in response to inquiries by the committee, just to be clear. I don't, I don't, I certainly don't have a recommendation as to where the three hundred fifty thousand would come from. So, just to be really candid about
4: that. Okay. Yeah. And at, at the same time, and I appreciate the uh, my colleagues having raised this issue because it is an issue and it is a uh, a fairness issue. So, um, I think clearly we're going to have to have more conversations on it.
5: Yeah.
4: Okay. I yield to someone else.
0: We have Member Rousseau, the Member Kratz, Graham, and McLaughlin.
8: Thank you, Mayor. Um, thank you for the presentation. I do appreciate it. Um, I am wondering where, and forgive me if we've already covered it, but I don't think we have uh, transportation for, for uh, sports and band and um, is that coming up?
3: I, 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 is the question is, is that included in the, this data before you tonight? Yes. Uh, no, but only because it it lives in the athletic or fine arts budgets, and so those lines will be restored to their FY. One of them wasn't even, was never reduced, but they'll either be maintained or restored to their FY, uh, twenty uh, numbers, so to ensure that we have um, sufficient transportation uh, to all events and athletic events and things of that nature. And that was that was by request by those uh, department heads, so there was no. Uh, to the best of my knowledge, there's no request to exceed the pre-FY21 levels.
8: Okay, thank you. I, I, I just, um, you know, um, it feels like remembering pre-pandemic sometimes is actually a challenge. But, um, sure. you know, my memory is that uh, we did not have an equitable distribution of transportation funding for different kinds of groups. That mm-hmm. I'll just say it. We were more than generous with the sports-related transportation funding and the band folks had to sell whatever they had to sell to get enough money for busing. Um, And this is my fourth budget. And for four years now, I've not been alone in saying we need a breakdown of what we're spending on extracurriculars per student. Um, Because just trusting my gut, I don't have Kids to participate in sports. I do have kids that participate in band. Um, you know that that's. I'm not interested in making grand statements or suggesting policy changes without any data. But my sense, you know, looking at you know the stipends for sports uh, coaches in our contract versus the people that are running the band and, and other stipends, there's clearly some kind of uh, discrepancy that maybe is appropriate based on the number of hours put into it, Um, but I have no way to know. And so I I really wanna know that we are not favoring kids who decide to participate in a sport and lessening the burden on their families to fundraise for transportation compared to kids that are in band or, and I'm just using those two examples. I'm sure there are others. Um, So, you know, restoration obviously is, you know, is better than not restoration, but um, I just don't have any way to know that this is in fact fair. And that's really, um, you know, it's a big issue for me. And this yeah. is the fourth fourth budget where this has been a topic, the fourth year where I've wanted, and I realize you were not in the last three budgets. Yeah. So, um, but you know, a breakdown of per student, what are we spending? Sure, And I mean, that includes the stipends that are in the teacher's contracts. And that, yeah. I mean, all the money that we spend on not the k-8 to education what are we spending where is it going and and is it actually fair i mean because I, I mean i know that sports matter a lot to a lot of people band matters an awful lot to a lot of people um and um i i just really think we have to get to the bottom of that i don't think this is something we can solve tonight and i was just surprised to not really get a sense so far as to whether or not that's being addressed. But I realize, of course that you weren't there for the last three budgets. So yeah.
3: no, I, it's a, it's a great question. And I, I and I think you're right. I mean, it, it's um, sometimes there's different level of expenses. I, I think more often than not, this discrepancy is created at districts because of the fee system that's in place around the athletics. And I, I think that is how you often end up seeing that, that discrepancy, but um, I, they play a very, very, uh, parallel role in terms of being the, the element of our, our educational program that engages students and keeps them frankly coming here and uh, certainly enjoying themselves and 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 making the most of their education. So I'm happy to to dig into that deeper um, and to see if there are if there are gaps that potentially we need to help bridge.
8: Thank you. Um, and so I guess I'll just ask my other question around um, um you know, I, I see this. There's um, the projects around um, bathrooms. You know, this, again, this is my fourth year, and this is the fourth year that students are doing the hard work of figuring out how to get menstrual products to our students. It's it's embarrassing, and and I know that not everybody on this meeting necessarily agrees, but it is embarrassing. Four years in a row, there are CCsR projects to make sure that the 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 Students that are menstruating don't have a problem getting access to these products. It's just, it's just kind of mind-boggling. Um, and I just want to be clear that I won't vote for any bathroom renovations if they do not include free menstrual product dispensers in every renovated bathroom. Mm,
2: Dr. Edward Vincent, I I just want to comment, Member Rousseau, so that when you make. Um, the statements, people um, will be led to believe that when um, female students are using the restrooms that they don't have access to feminine products. At the high school, we have an entire medical suite. Feminine products are placed in the restrooms, but unfortunately, sometimes the feminine products are not used for their proper purpose. They are used They're decorated on the um, bathroom stalls. They end up on the ceilings. That has happened multiple times as well. And that's with people supervising and monitoring the restrooms. So we do put them there. CCSR students um, do take that on as a project, but I do want people to know that feminine products are available in the medical suite and um, students are not denied um, access. We have ample products in the medical suite And I'm not opposed to getting um, machines uh, that students can have access to, but I I just want to state that when we've provided them, um, they were not used for the proper purpose, which was part of the reason why they ended up being removed um, in the past. So I I just want to say that we're not trying to um, target students or say to them that, you know, it's not available. I want everyone to know it is available and there are ample supplies um, in the medical suite at the high school in particular and at the middle schools as well. It, it's available in all the um, nursing offices.
8: Thank, Thank you. you. Um, if I could just quickly respond, Mayor.
0: Yes, and then member Kratz.
8: Um, yeah, I, I understand that. And I, I would never first second suggest anybody is trying to deny these things. Um, I, I would just suggest that we get a map of the high school and imagine a student who is at the furthest point from the medical suite. And I mean, I, I'm—I mean, of the school committee members, I'm the only one here who hasn't had these experiences. I'm making assumptions about you all, but um, you know, uh, even I can't even imagine being as far away from the medical suite as you can be in this building that is just vast and being told you know where it is? Um, I, I walked that building to get to whatever, and I, I'm like, first of all, it is not a two-minute walk. We're talking, I mean, I don't even know what the timing is, but I, I just think that the the bar for what we think of as access seems just to be really, really low uh, and um, or high, whatever the right analogy is, um, and I and I just, you know, there are other districts that have been, done this, and I don't They don't make the front page of the globe as becoming a huge problem. Um, And I understand that, you know, what I've read about, you know, the, the healthy, uh, it's not the healthy youth act. I forget which act it was that would actually require these in schools last year. But, you know, there is an initial, like when, when you first install these and make them available for free, they're going to be stuck to the ceiling and they're going to be kids that need them might take home baskets full of them. But like a lot of things, they're going to get bored of it. And then when students need them, they'll be there. So I, I don't pretend it's a super like no effort kind of project. I, I just firmly believe that, you know, the the CCSR, I believe it was a CCSR project. And it came across my inbox on Facebook, I think a week ago, about students that are doing this. Um, they're not doing this because they got nothing else to do. Um, so I, I just think we're not listening to the students. I'm looking at the CCSR page from 2016. And that's one of their projects from that year. Um, and and I just don't know when we're going to get to it. But thank you.
0: Thank you. Member Crest, then Member Graham, and Member McLaughlin.
6: Yes, um, I just wanted to thank. Um, first off, I just have a question for <clears throat> the transportation. But first off, I just wanted to um, let everybody know that the presentations were excellent and um, Mr. McLaughlin, you did a great job and we'll, um, those agenda items are going to be on the agenda for next week so we can have a discussion next week in the subcommittee meeting. So the question I have is also about transportation. Um, couple couple things on that because I pulled up the bulletin because I, I don't remember it being one mile radius. I So I pulled up the bulletin on transportation during COVID 2021. And it says here that, Memphis Public Schools will not transport students on a yellow school who have a f- physical address within two miles of the school they attend. We understand that this change is a significant burden. in and have always provided transportation that exceeds the regulation. So I'm um, I'm I'm not sure I have even the right information. Um, you know, Mr. Murphy, what, what he mentioned, I don't I don't have that information either. I, I don't recall having a meeting about that. So I, I, I just wanted to mention that. I know Ms. Vandercluys talked about that, and yeah, Mr. Mr. Murphy, can did, I just
3: attempt to to clarify? Mm-hmm. Um, and I say this with the sort of disclaimer that this was um, before I, I was here, but I've uh, been involved in it since. And if any if any of my colleagues want to share. Uh, their recollections please don't please do um but as it was explained to me was that when the when the committee was presented with the 2.0 mile radius i my understanding was that was for the secondary grades there was an existing restriction as again as i was i believe I was told of a one mile at the elementary level that had essentially not been enforced and that uh, in order to bring down the the total number of people riding the bus, there would be a need to inform the vendor to enforce that radius at one mile at the elementary level and two miles at the secondary level. Um, The number of people riding the bus has diminished so significantly that it's not clear, frankly, that the vendor needed to enforce the one mile radius. And so uh, this also, by the way, I should say, does not apply to kindergarten. So the exceptions are kindergarten safety exemptions, and students with disabilities are, as, with transportation as part of the IP are of course um, not related to this conversation either. But um, the one and two mile radiuses, one was based on the, the COVID restriction and the other was uh, just essentially an unenforced restriction that is not uncommon in districts, um, frankly, to have, particularly when there's room on the bus. But And that's sort of what we would go into this summer in terms of planning routes and stops with the vendor at that radius. And the vendor has advised that if we were to do that, Um, we likely would have within the 18 buses that are contemplated by the contract that was approved last year, the likelihood is that we would only need a 17 bus fleet and that would free up the 18th for potentially a second bus at the high school. So I think Dr. Cushing, I saw you uh, raise your hand. Um, If if I I misspoke at all, please uh, don't hesitate to correct me.
7: Uh, you, you did not misspeak. You spoke very accurately. The I guess if you could say the one of the positives coming out of the pandemic was um, it really built up the relationship for the school principals. Um, to, and I'm, I'm, I apologize for the person at the city level and the parent uh, I'm blanking on her name, uh, but to really work on Safe Routes to School uh, as a way to also reduce our fossil fuels footprint. Um, with the amount of buses stopping and starting and by creating w- walking school buses, um, safe ways for students to walk to and from school um, and to look at other ways to make sure that we were providing safe opportunities for kids to get to school while also realizing that while this was a pandemic driven issue, um, there were other issues related to fossil fuels and traffic and congestion and things along those um, along those lines um, that that were Playing into the considerations as well when we were having these conversations last year, which I would say, um, you know, all of our school principals at the elementary and the middle school levels uh, met with people to map out routes to their schools. We got GIS mapping data with where all our students were. Um, we we did a we did a quite a comprehensive analysis um, to really look into all of this um, as we came into the pandemic and then looked at the opportunities that might exist coming out of the pandemic um, to shift uh, the habits and mindsets.
6: Thank you, thank you. Um, I just have one more question and it might just be some helpful information for the upcoming school year. Um, and Mr. Murphy, I'm not sure if you were on yet, but um, Ms. Patterson was aware of it that, because um, we we go back to school before Labor Day And with the MBTA, the days before Labor Day, um, the MBTA doesn't operate for the high school students. So there's always been concern um, for the first couple of days before Labor Day when the kids are back to school. I, you know, we used to get messages that, you know, students were waiting at the bus stop, the bus wasn't there, they ended up walking, were late for school, so in preparation for the upcoming school year, there's been an added like yellow school bus that you know kind of travels some of the most commonly you know um, frequent stops to yep. you know to kind of pick up the high school students for those uh, first couple of days. Um, so I I can't quite remember all the details, but I just wanted to give you the heads up about that. That that okay. has been an ongoing issue each year because we start before Labor Day. And then right after Labor Day, the MBT buses will run on a regular school schedule.
3: Uh, I, Ms. Kretz, I really appreciate that. It's I—it's it's not something I'm familiar with. I, I will uh, educate yes. myself as quickly as possible. Uh, my first question is what happens to that bus after Labor Day? Because if it's available that week, I'd be a little curious how, how or why it would be available.
2: So what um, I would say um, in response to that, yeah, it is. It is a past practice in Medford, and the Eastern Bus Company is aware because we start school before a lot of surrounding districts. So they do; they're able to kind of shuffle their bus buses to get us through um, the initial three days um, before other districts end up starting. So they have been able to do it, and it's something they are aware of. And we will definitely continue that practice, Member Kreutz. Thank, Thank you.
3: you. Yeah, I think we will certainly continue the practice, but I'm also in our meetings with Eastern Bus, um, I think we'll also push on the issue as to what the, what the capacity is, because um, the sentiment that I heard from the committee when we discussed this in April 26 was that if there was, um, if there's a, a cost-effective way to, to provide additional yellow bus transportation for the high school, then that's something we should we should look at. So, but this is, again, we're, we're going to have, we'll have many conversations and they've been a very good partner very responsive over the course of the past year. Um, So my hope is that we'll be able to continue that dialogue with them.
6: Thank you.
9: Member Graham? Thank you. Um, I really appreciated the um, attention to professional development that uh, was laid out in the superintendent's recommendations um, and certainly, um, train the trainer models can be really effective as long as there is a sustainability plan that comes with the train the trainer and it's not a, a, an initial startup thing that sort of fizzles out because starting over in a train the trainer plan is very expensive. So I just want to make sure that we have sustainability plans in place um, to really maximize um, that investment. Um, on the topic of transportation, I would like to make a motion that the budget Uh, include or assumes that there will be no cost to transportation for our students effective at the beginning of the 21-22 school year and that um oh oh, just let me finish (laughs) and that the administration will bring to us a comprehensive plan that sort of lays out a recommendation around transportation for the district Um, But between now and August 1st. Um, And the reason that I added that at the end is because, uh, you know, I have heard overwhelmingly from people that put, you know, kids taking the MBTA bus means that they're often late and that it's not reliable and parents are making other arrangements to get their kids to school because they can't, they don't feel they can trust the MBTA buses. Um, The notion that there are yet other students who really rely on those MBTA bus passes so that they um, can work and can travel on the bus in a, like in a different way um, is not something that I've personally heard, but I don't want to discount the fact that there are community members out there who are in that position. So I would like for us to like revisit transportation um, a- and for you all to, to work with Eastern bus and the, and the police department and whoever to, and the, and hopefully the community to figure out like what is the best path forward. I will also say, Dr. Cushing, that I do remember the conversation about the um, one versus two mile radius and the like non-enforcement of the radius at the elementary school level. Um, When Mr. Murphy was talking about kindergarten being an exception, I guess I I started to think like if you enforce like that one mile versus two miles or whatever it is, and yet you still have to pick up kindergartners in a place where you wouldn't before. Like how do you practically or tactically only pick up kindergartners in that like closer radius? So I feel like there's like a lot of conversation around transportation to get it right. Um, But I I want um, unequivocally the budget to reflect that it will not cost students to get themselves to school next year, period. Second. um would you like to call the roll, or should i ask my other questions
0: i just want to you want that
9: to
0: i just don't know what the admin will put in the budget if they don't need to give us that plan until august 1st so i just want to make sure it's clear to the administration and the finance team
9: i'm going to assume that the finance team can figure that out between now and the time the final budget is presented to us. I
3: think the the only thing I would say, Mayor, if I could, is that I I take the motion to mean that we don't want any students to be dependent upon a MBTA pass that they have to purchase with their own money to get to school. Now, I think that um, there are different ways that we can explore that. I think the most cost-effective way is going to be with an additional, at least one additional yellow bus um, and as I said, that could come at no cost. That could be budget neutral, theoretically. Um, I think that beyond that, you know, one, it could be more than one yellow bus. And then we, it, there could be uh, anything beyond one bus is certainly gonna have a budget impact of, of some kind. And then I think the other issue that we have to deal with is that there are going to be students who want the discounted MBTA pass. I don't take the motion to suggest that we should discontinue our partnership with MBTA and no longer offer the MBTA passes because if there are students who want to buy the pass for whatever reason, we certainly want our students to be able to get a discounted pass the way students in other uh, school districts can. So I think we would continue the program, but I think we will just need to scrutinize essentially what the the usage of the pass um, is, is among students. And then if they, are, if they are dependent upon that, we need to either cover the cost of the MBTA pass Or create an alternative uh, option for students to get to school. Now, I think what that comes down to is uh, how many of the passes are we selling, and how many of the students that are buying the passes are are dependent upon them. And then, where would the routing be of a yellow bus? So, there's there are certainly layers for that. But it's a it's it's certainly clear direction from the committee, and we'll do you know if we run into a problem in terms of executing either from a budgetary perspective or a logistical perspective, we'll we'll come back it is conceivable to me that there could be a constituency of students who, you know, when we say like, well, you're buying this pass, because you need it to get to school or because you need it to get to work, because you just want a discounted a BTA pass. And they're going to say like, listen, you know, buddy, I just want to pass. Give my 30 bucks. Like I'll, I'll worry about getting to school at which point, you know, at that point, I don't think we're violating the policy. I think we're just, um, you know, we're running into a student who's decided that he or she wants to take the MBTA to school, and uh, whether they're on time or not. Um, so, I, I, again, I, I think that the intent is very, very clear, and I think we will do our we'll do everything we can to execute on that. Um, we'll just have to keep an open dialogue with the committee if we're running into a situation in which it's proving either from a budgetary perspective or just on an ex, on the execution level, it's just it's just not possible. But um, I, I I certainly I, I certainly understand the intent we'll, and like I said, we'll, we'll do our best to act in, in a manner consistent with it.
0: So how do you want the resolution to to be worded, um, Member Graham and Mr. Murphy, so, so we can have an idea of what we're looking at June by June 1st, rather than August 1st. thought it was clear. Well, you mentioned the August 1st date, which I just I just want to be able to know what I'm supporting and what will be provided when.
9: So the budget will include an assumption that it does not cost money to get to school. And the the revised transportation plan and strategy is not something that can reasonably be done before that happens. So that is what would take until August 1st. Like the details of, is it that, the MBTA passes are just free for everybody, or is it the strategy that there is a yellow bus and is there is the strategy that we're changing the radius from one mile to two miles? All of that obviously has budget implications, as does literally everything that happens in the district after we pass the budget. Um, but the budget needs to reflect a cost capacity that allows us to not require students to pay to come to school.
3: Is that clear, Mr. Murphy? Yeah, it's. I mean, you I guess the only caveat. And I'm. I'm really not trying to be like nitpicky about this. Is that I don't think at the moment we require anyone to pay money to come to school. In reality, some students are ta- you're ta- taking the MBTA bus, and our lack of, um, uh, you know, theoretically our lack of yellow bus capacity at the high school uh, is necessitating that based on where they live or based on you know their their family, family situation or whatever. And so, in practice, where you know they are paying to get to school, but it's not like it's the district policy that says like we don't let you in unless you show up on an MBTA bus that you pay for. So um, we can, I think, I think one, I think we would want to collect data from the current population of students. Hopefully, look back over a period of years as well, see how many MBTA passes we're selling. Assume that that's a ceiling in terms of of what we would have to um, what we have to provide. And then I think we look at to see if, do we do we reduce that from a cost perspective by adding yellow bus capacity? And then I think as we sell the MBTA passes, because uh, as we discussed earlier, we don't want to actually preclude our students from getting the discounted passes. Then I think we have to collect the data as to what the passes are. Are the passes being used based on a preference or are being purchased rather based on a preference or based on um, a lack of, other ways to get to school, so that that I I I, I think the intent is very clear. Um, like I said, I will 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 execute in line with it, and we'll just have to come back if we're running into a logistical hurdle or it becomes something that seems impossible about it.
0: Member McLaughlin on on this motion
1: on this motion. Um, Thank you. Uh, I just, for clarification perspective, I would like to just, I guess it's sort of point of clarification if there's such a thing, but the issue has, the longstanding issue has been that we are having students who are paying to transport to school, many of whom are economically disadvantaged and who are potentially over a two mile radius, or at least at a two mile radius. And if you think about even the cusp of the two mile radius, which would be Say, for example, students in the, you know, McGlynn vicinity, McGlynn Middle School vicinity, walking to the high school or to have it because they couldn't afford or having to choose to, you know, uh, pay $30 a month for the reduced pass that could very much impact their families. I think it's just... An ethics value. It's a statement. It's a it's a our budget does reflect what our values are. And I think I have been stunned um, that that has been the case in the history, even sitting in school committee on the other side of the uh, podium that that students were having to pay. To transport themselves to school. And especially having been a student myself who would not have been able to do that. And so then you think about what the absentee rates are, what the hunger rates are, what you know, it's just so many, there's so many impacts. So to that motion, I would, you know, I would prefer that it's the MBTA passes, but I would defer to the finance committee to do it to, to provide us a a uh, cost benefit analysis to, to analysis that we can look at a little bit more even you know in the next session or um in the final session as we're evaluating this but I would I would like to move the question and I second member Graham's motion.
0: To review on June 1st
1: yep the
0: no no child needs to pay for their own busing. If you could call the roll member McLaughlin. Yes. Member
1: Graham. Yes Member Kretz. Yes. Member McLaughlin, yes. Member Mastone.
9: Yes.
1: Member Rousseau. Yes. Um, Member Vanderclub. Yes. Mayor Longo Kern.
0: Yes, seven the affirmative, zero in the negative. Motion passes.
1: Member
3: I, I, I apologize and, and I couldn't get this, I, I should have gotten this question out before the question was moved, but I just want to ask one more clarifying question. Um, if does the motion contemplate the two mile radius at the secondary level? Because the in in the under the existing policy, the those students wouldn't be provided a yellow bus, even if we had unlimited yellow buses. But I I don't and I don't know what an MBTA pass would do. But if a student lives a quarter mile from the school, is the expectation that we would still ensure that there's free transportation for that student, even though Sort of under the policy contemplates them walking to school
9: no I mean if the law contemplates students walking to school I, I'm fine with that continuing to be the practice I'm not asking for us to bite off that piece of the apple okay. personally um right now but I am concerned about the people who are in excess of two miles from the school, Absolutely. who have to pay to get to school.
3: If you're if you're beyond two miles from school, and, and on either sides of you know outside of the radius of the high school, and one is be getting a free yellow bus and one is being told you've got to pay thirty dollars a month for an MBTA pass, that's outrageous.
9: Yes. And so, yes, it is.
3: If that's what we're looking to address, I think that that is sensible and something that we can look at. The law. Just to be just to be clear is no one over sixth grade is entitled to transportation and so uh, the laws had to put up the existing policy with a two-mile radius which is almost uniform across uh, the Commonwealth you know th- that that makes sense and, and, and that we can do um, but I, I as long as we're I, and I, it, your response tells me that we all agree what the inequity is that's what we're looking to address. And we'll come up with a plan consistent with the policy, with the vote to, to do that. If Can I
1: make a point of information because I'm not clear. I'm not sure that we're clear on what, at least on what I felt like was being discussed as well. And I want clarity. Mayor, may I do that?
0: Clear information, Member McLaughlin?
1: Thank you. I just, I think that my issue specifically was around economically disadvantaged students having to pay for transportation to school. Um, and so whether that is within the two mile radius or, or, um, you know, I, I guess a two mile radius is, you know, or one mile radius or what have you that we're offering. I know in the past teachers have been paying for students to have access to MBTA transportation passes. And so to your point, Mr. Murphy, and this is something that can be for further consideration, not necessarily for this particular motion or addi- addition, you know, the motions has been passed, but to your point, that this allows MBTP, mbta passes allow for accessibility in the city they can allow for the classroom in the city they can allow for job opportunities they can allow for transportation to school and my biggest subset that i'm concerned I'm with go just are you uh, going to ask a question yeah we've fo- focused on the economically disadvantaged in this in this consideration well i, I think the motion i think has it's passed. everybody it, yeah i think
3: has it has Yes, it's, it's broader than economically disadvantaged, but it, it is not inclusive of students within the two-mile radius. So that gives us a, a data point to start from. And um, similar to what Dr. Christian was saying earlier about using the GPS to identify sort of from a data plot perspective, data plotting, or the you know, we can say, okay, this is our population of students that we've got to make sure that we get to school for free. And it might be the case that, similar to apparently what we do before Labor Day, if we just put a bus on the route, we're able to accommodate a large portion of those students. And so if we're able to do that, then I think this could prove to be a fairly uh, simple directive to uh, fulfill. If we look at it and say, well, that one bus that we used before Labor Day only takes care of 15% of the students and in order to address the various uh, areas of the community, we need six new buses, then we might have to come back and say, uh, we're going to have to piece this together in in some other way because we don't have a, a sustainable way of doing it right now. But um, so that, that's that's sort of and then at that at that point we may have to pare down who we are focusing on to economically disadvantaged uh, for the for the reason that Ms. McGough was say. So I, again, I, I don't exactly know how this is going to turn out, but I think we have clear direction and we're happy to um, to, to move forward with it.
0: Thank you. Member Graham, and then it's Member McLaughlin. Then Member Um, Russo, then Member Kratz.
9: Thank you. Um, I was a little surprised not to see changes uh, or or position recommendations in the finance office because it's my sense that um, there's always been too much work to do in that office uh, for the number of staff that are there. What's that?
3: Uh, I said my, my, That's my impression as well, but that's not here. Nothing.
9: And so, but there's no ask here to address that. Why is that?
3: Uh, because in the uh, in in the the committee will remember that um, what was advocated for going into FY 21 was um, essentially a two-position capacity, and what we um, w- what we looked at to do that in order to fulfill that was one with the chapter 70 allocation. Um, We added the the position of comptroller. That's uh, Ms. Kingdon, who has been instrumental in uh, me looking less foolish than I would on a a normal basis uh, week in and week out. Um, Also brings uh, accounting uh, capacity and expertise that they didn't cover in law school, which I'm grateful for. In addition to that, uh, we repurposed an executive assistant position that had um, uh, evolved into a grant coordinator role and reposition that into the, the, the finance office as a grant coordinator. And so we've expanded our capacity to that extent. Um, you'll see that it's a, well, for, on, the, on your uh, salary tables, the executive assistant back, the backfilling of the executive assistant position, and just, I'm sorry, just to finish that, all that was done in the course of FY21. Budget neutral on the grant coordinator um, in this uh, came in again through the chapter 70 allocation that was made in August. So that expanded our capacity and and has positioned us better um, to to be able to serve the district. Uh, The one priority that's remaining in the finance and operations budget narrative lives in the salary tables that are district-wide, which I should speak to before we leave, just to be clear as to what the district-wide salary table is. That executive assistant position that currently supports um, two of the assistant superintendents when it's backfield will support all three of the assistant superintendents and therefore be adding um, capacity to the the finance office in that respect as well. So um, in effect, we will have, again, we're not looking to balloon the finance office. You heard me say last night that the budget priorities that have developed as part of the FY22 budget are driven by what is going to have the most direct support um, for students, and I can certainly understand how um, those working in school communities would suggest that the finance and operations office is not necessarily the one that's the closest to kids. Um, but in order for us to uh, serve the district well and, and to benefit kids, we need to have adequate staffing. And um, by adding the grant coordinator position, the comptroller position, and a portion of the executive assistant position, uh, we feel that we'll, we'll be better positioned to do that.
9: Thank you for that. Um, and then my final comment is just to um, say that I am not in favor of spending uh, capital funds on restroom rehab projects or the, ca- or the current theater or the entrance until there is an actual master plan um, that addresses the long-term needs of the high school. Mm-hmm. Um, I, it's a lot of money. It's like a quarter of a million dollars um, all in. And it's just, it's, it's not inconsequential when we are talking. That's like ten power professionals, you know, many, many teachers, like staff that we can't fit into the budget. Like, there's just there's a lot of other priorities um, than to spend without having a clear plan for the building. So I, I have said this before, but the priority the priority of um, having a clear plan for that building is critically important. Um, And until that happens, um, I, I can't support spending the community's dollars in a way that's going to pigeonhole us or, um, tie our hands when it comes to the greater needs of that building, which are as yet unassessed. Thank you.
0: Just to that point, if I could point out the 800 plus thousand and the 100,000 from the boiler and the science labs has to go to capital projects. So I just think think there are plenty. And the high school needs a a lot of attention and vision committee and work that we would do through that will be years away. So, I mean, I just respectfully disagree. Wanted to point that out. Uh, Member McLaughlin.
1: Thank you. I have a few questions. I guess I'll start with that one, since that was the last topic of the conversation. Um, I guess I'd like on the next agenda for the MHS vision committee to be included so we can understand what the status of that is as we're considering spending money. Um, I just don't want to throw, you know, good money after bad. I feel like there's been so much discussion about the high school and we haven't convened the vision committee. So I'd like that uh, if we can have that included on the next agenda, please um and then uh going back to the transportation um through the chair i was going to ask mr murphy what you meant by tying programmatic opportunities to their procurement uh
3: is that in the that's in the, one of the I, documents i said. the procurement of what is just a little more context
1: i i don't know i didn't understand what you were talking about you were talking about transportation and you know uh, <laughs> I'm sorry, but I quoted
3: what oh, you were saying. Well, I think, I, I'm sorry, I think we were talking about the MBTA passes. Yeah. And I, what I was saying, and I think you you made a, a similar comment, Ms. McLaughlin, that the MBTA passes are a good investment to get students to school. They're a great investment if we are, uh, if there's a nexus between the procurement of the MBTA passes and the programmatic and instructional opportunities that put students out in the community and give them experiential learning opportunities. And because I don't know that, and certainly there are, there are plenty of teachers and CCR, CCSR is a great example of it, but there's plenty of, of instructional opportunities at the high school that um, do uh, infiltrate the, the community and in, in the, in the sort of the educational world at large beyond just the walls of the classroom. But if we're going to increase our investment and uh, invest in MBTA passes, then it would seem to me that um, we could maximize that investment if we're doing it and thinking through an instructional lens as well, and mm-hmm. trying to expand our experiential learning opportunities, which is is a, I think in my view at least is is a good in, unto itself. Um, but it, it it sort of it's magnified um, when it we're we're also providing that that type of resource to make uh, it more accessible for students. Mm-hmm.
1: Thank you. I thought that's what you meant, and I wanted some clarification because I'm imagining, for example you know, um, vocational students, you know, transporting to their site, um, CCSR volunteers or, or sort of all of those things. So it, it would be interesting to know what the programmatic opportunities um, are as we're considering this cost analysis for these different options. Um, And then I know that it's not just Eastern bus that we have as our transportation vendors. We have multiple transportation vendors and there's been multiple issues across the transportation vendors. Um, uh, We've personally been experiencing some issues with um, transportation vendors. And I know that it's difficult to uh, maintain or um, uh, retain staff, especially under the current circumstances. Um, But I'm wondering about a centralized opportunity or, or almost like a, C click fix, you know, sort of or option or, you know, complaint line or something where we can collect data on what is actually happening in the community for our transportation because we are paying a lot of money to our vendors. And I feel like there's no accountability to the vendors. There's no sort of consistency around what the vendors are providing. And even in some of the contracts, I've seen letters come home to parents saying that if you miss, you know, the bus in the morning, you're not going to get picked up in the afternoon which is a complete violation, right? You can't do that. Um, But this is for special education transportation, um, for example. But that was a letter that we specifically saw. So this is what I'm saying. There has to be some consistency around the contracts around the budgets, but also around the sort of complaint process, because if, one administrator's hearing complaints on one section of it and another's hearing another, like who's centralizing these complaints for us to understand as a school committee, what the bids are on these, on these um, vendors and whether they're
3: reasonable. Yeah. Uh, no, I, I appreciate you raising that Ms. McLaughlin. And I, um, as I said at the beginning of the presentation, um, th- this is one of the key reasons that we've wanted to reorganize around a fam- having a family engagement point person. And that's not to say that once we have a director of family engagement, either there'll never be any complaints or there'll never be any complaints that um, don't have the immediate and substantive response uh, that we would prefer. Because the nature of a large organization is sometimes there's going to be something's going to happen and the, we don't actually hear about it until sometime later. And uh, sometimes we're going to hear about it, but there's going to be a conflicting, you know, story as to, to what actually occurred. So I don't I don't want to suggest that. Um, through the reorganize through that reorganizing of those offices, somehow uh, there will never be any additional problems because as you know that that's that's reality at the same time though, um, we envision the the family engagement office serving in in many ways as the central facilitator amongst the offices that have the most direct uh, contact and most frequent contact with families and that's Uh, Some of the the before and after school care programs, the registration uh, uh, process when you're first coming into the school community, health services, where oftentimes the communication with families is some is is you know literally life dependent, um, and special education certainly and transportation is a big is is a big part of that because as much as we interact with families and parents uh, in the instructional realm, some of those basic operational logistical issues are the ones that families are most dependent on the district for and having those offices sort of um, being the sort of the spokes of a wheel, if you will, I think will help from a communication perspective and making sure that the administrators who need to be informed about some of these issues are, are informed uh, rapidly. So the, the, only, the only point at which I would differ with regard to your comments, Member McLaughlin, is that the suggestion that there would be no accountability for for any vendors. And accountability uh, can manifest itself in a variety of ways, and sometimes on a variety of timelines. Uh, But I will say that um, whenever um, the the administration and certainly Ms. Bowen's office in particular um, hears of these issues, um, we we take them uh, very seriously and and we are uh, responsive to it. and if there are any instances in which uh, uh, parents or caregivers are aware of, in which a vendor has not fulfilled their responsibilities uh, to students uh, in the district or the families in the district, it's something we wanna know about that right away. Um, and you certainly have our commitment that there will be a robust response at all times, because uh, certainly the situation that you described, um, you know, if accurate is completely unacceptable and it's not something we would tolerate. Um, by our own staff or any vendors that we partner with.
1: Thank you. And just if I may, Mayor, to be clear, you know, um, the Director of Pupil Services has always been incredibly responsive, um, but I have also always been a squeaky wheel. And I think about the folks who aren't and how um, they're being responded to and how they're able to sort of demonstrate that that the transportation is working. And I think it's around data collection, frankly, and children coming to school late and sort of what that looks like. But again, looking at our vendors, I think is important. And then lastly, I just wanted to, again, also um, uh, laud the superintendent's um, uh, direction towards pr- more professional development and targeted professional development, both around implicit bias and social emotional learning. And I have heard from um, staff and community members two points on the professional development that I wanted to sort of raise. And one is that um, uh, some of the specialized staff, I think, is not necessarily feeling as though that there the is... Um, targeted um, professional development for, you know, very specific um, licensing or needs. And so I wanted to sort of present that. And then also, you know, just concern about ensuring paraprofessional participation and professional development and or that is, uh, that is um, related to paraprofessional. And certainly it sounds like the social-emotional learning piece will be part of that. Um, but I want to ensure that. And I know in the past, I think that they, a lot of times the paraprofessionals have gone where the teachers go. Um, they're, they're partner teachers, which I understand, You know the reasoning around that too, but I think it would be also nice just to be able to let people have some flexibility and choice for the professional development. So those are not things that I expect an answer to tonight, but I just sort of wanted to bring that up um, so that you guys are aware. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you,
8: part.
0: members. So, Member Kretz and then Member Vanderklou.
8: Thank you, Mayor. Um, I, I I know that the uh, we've already passed the resolution on the transportation plan. I just know I I had to walk 1.1 miles to the bus stop every day growing up, um, and um, if I missed the bus, it was a four hour and 29 minute walk to get to school. Um, Obviously that's a little bigger than Medford since it was 13 miles. Uh, but my point is my experience of making it to the bus or not going to school, um, was that if you looked at my absences, um, you know, in Massachusetts, I'd probably have DCF at my house, frankly. Um, so I, I just hope that when we do the plan, um, and we are talking about two miles versus one mile, um, I, I think, uh, this ties in a bit to Mr. Murphy's staffing levels. Um, I want to know are kids that are within the two mile radius tardy or absent more than kids that are outside of the two mile radius. And I don't actually think you have the capacity to go through a year's worth of tardies and a year's worth of absences and figure out distance from the school and whether they use the busing or like that seems that's a heavy lift. Um, But that's a policy decision we are making with no idea of the impact on the educational outcomes, because, you know, we always go back to that. If you're not in school, you certainly aren't learning. Um, So I I just, um, you know, my own experience of you make it to the bus stop or you don't go to school, uh, that, that surely happens in Medford, too. So uh, when we talk about one mile versus two mile, I think we have to also recognize there isn't just a financial impact. There's an impact on all the scores that, you know, the superintendent really likes for MCAS score, you know, they're, they're metrics, whether she likes MCAS or not, they're metrics and that's important. Um, but this is, a, this is a specific policy that will have impact on metrics. And I'm not I mean, I don't, I'm not asking for a report, but I know from my own experience, that it's absolutely a fact. If you miss the bus, you don't go to school. And granted, I couldn't walk to school if I missed the bus and didn't have transportation otherwise. But I'm sure there are plenty of kids who, if they missed the bus, screw it. Um, And um, But for all the kids under that two mile radius, there is no bus. So when it's bitter, nasty, cold rain, which we used to get before global warming made everything seventy degrees. Um, you know that. You know th- those those days. If you're getting a, to the bus, it's different than if you're not getting to the bus, and you're expected to walk at least forty minutes to get to school. Um, so I, I don't have a question. I'm just kind of
0: thank annoyed. you, member. Thank you, member Kratz, and then member Vanderklou. Member Kreutz, if you could just unmute yourself, please.
6: Oh, okay, there we go. Um, yes. So, in regards to the motion that we made this evening, will that be for your Mr. Murphy is going to get us a report that will outline, you know, what the various costs would be, like whether or not we're going to go with yellow buses for all the students in the district, or we're going to consider. Um, Purchasing MBTA bus passes for all the students—is that the way? Is that or is this is this going to be a proposal that's going to be ready for us to review at the time of the budget, and we can see how it fits into the budget?
3: I I think we're going to try to build a plan that does not include um, students being dependent upon students who are outside of two mile radius from the high school dependent dependent upon mbta passes that they have to purchase how we're going to accomplish that i think we're going to need a little bit of time to figure out but mm-hmm. i if my i just say I, I and i shouldn't really speculate about this but i'll just tell you like what i what my gut tells me is that it's going to have to be a multi plan in which we are adding yellow bus capacity we are um having x number of mbta passes for, for whom the district is absorbing the cost and potentially exploring uh, other partnerships to help defray that cost uh, overall. And also uh, being mindful of what data we can collect to determine um, the, the, the basis for the MBTS, MBTA pa- procurement on the part of students. So uh, I, my guess is to, in order to do this, we'll, we'll have to look at sort of each of those levers and I think um, my understanding. Is I think if we know by August first that this is not something that we can do from either a financial perspective or a logistical perspective, we'll report back to the committee. And I would what I would envision is reporting back to the committee, not just sort of throwing up our hands and saying sorry we can't do it. I think what we would say is, you know, before we had X number of MBTA passes that were being purchased for purposes of getting to school. Under this plan, we've been able to reduce the number of passes that we anticipate. Uh, procuring for school by this amount here are the obstacles toward eliminating um, the the full boat of students buying the passes and then at that point to Ms. McLaughlin's point uh, we could then uh, look at how potentially we target uh, students uh, from economically disadvantaged circumstances so I, I think it's multifaceted, but um, like I said the direction is clear and and we'll just have to move move in that direction and we'll do our best to to make it a reality
6: thank you
4: thank you member vanderclute thank you uh i just want to go back and address the subject that was raised by member graham followed up with the mayor's comments and melanie mclaughlin's on the high school um essentially jenny objected to any more money being put into the current building until we know we're going uh the mayor said that there was in fact some money available and melanie asked for it to come up uh for discussion and the the fact of the matter is the um, uh, vision committee was put on hold and it was put on hold um, initially right after the the election and the concerns around the makeup of the uh, committee, Uh, then the pandemic stepped in and, um, but it is vital that we um, determine where we're gonna go with this. Are we gonna pick a whole new committee? There were people who had expressed interest Um, at this point we, we need to establish a committee um, because I understand Jenny's concerns. And I also wanna make sure that the building is livable for the kids who are there. So I think there's, a, I think there's some place in the middle of between absolutely not and doing uh, some of the necessary upgrades to keep the building in a satisfactory um, shape uh, while students are currently using it. But key to that more than anything is we have to um, determine what the vision committee is going to be, what we're going asking them of, and um, what the timeline we envision is. Maybe it's not the time to start it at the end of June. I understand that, um, but we need to be ready to be focused um, at the beginning of September and not wait for another school year to go by.
0: Thank you, Member Vandekloot. I assume the same thing. Start it right up in the fall, where we have a number of other things: budget, Columbus School, um, getting the kids back
4: yeah but I think I think we need to determine mayor uh we don't need we can't wait to September to have the discussion about what we're going to do no we have, we no have June. right have
0: a, I think Mel, member McLaughlin mentioned the next meeting or I'm assuming one of the June meetings member anything else member Van De Kloot?
4: no thank you member Graham and then we'll. I saw uh the superintendent's hand waving. oh madam superintendent the member Graham I I just wanted to say that
2: I I want to just remind the committee that I believe it was December of 2019 when I did go before the council when the 800,000 was awarded for the bathrooms. And I do wanna just um, say that I am in strong support of renovating um, some of the bathrooms at the high school complex because they're in desperate need of just being upgraded and refreshed. And I agree that we do need to work on a more comprehensive plan, but um, the the most modern uh, bathrooms in the entire complex are in the science wing. And that's for the entire um, complex that has really modern bathrooms. And so not all students are located in that section of the building. So I am hoping that some of that money that was earmarked um back in 2019 and because of the pandemic and everything that um we really do need to go forward with at least renovating and upgrading some of the um some of those bathroom facilities um i think that that's critically important and um you know i i'm just thinking about the needs of the students and saying that i i want them to be able to have um you know updated functioning uh bathrooms. So I just wanted to remind the committee of that um, commitment that was made when the money was released to us.
0: Thank you, Dr. Edward Vincent. Member Graham and then Member Kratz?
9: Um, I just wanted to say that I agree with Member Vanderclute. It's not about being opposed to any of those projects, in fact. Um, And perhaps they all make sense. But Um, The absence of information right now is putting us in a position where we could be making decisions to spend substantial amounts of the city's money in a frivolous way or in a way that makes it more complicated to do what needs to be done when we actually talk to experts about what the needs are of the building. So everyone you talk to has an opinion about what should happen to Medford High School, Um, and I appreciate everybody's input, but... There there will be a time and a place for us to consult with experts and outline um, what the experts think needs to happen to the building, and that hasn't been done to date. So for me, I I am not opposed to any of these expenditures per se, but I am opposed to us deciding that these expenditures are prudent or a good use of taxpayer dollars without experts to tell us that um, that's in fact the case. So I, I do agree that we need to like move along and I think we need to do so with an open mind. Um, I, I remember very distinctly when we walked around the building with um, the vision committee or the, the school committee right before the pandemic and I heard from people who had been seated on the committee as they talked and chattered in the hallway about what we could or could not possibly consider um, for the high school because of the science wing or because of the this and because of the that. And I would encourage us all to put our opinions um, aside and really come up with a plan that allows us to understand what the building's needs are um, so that we can move quickly to start to achieve some of those objectives. And the final thing I'll say is, while we had a conversation about the capital plan, We did not build a capital plan. um, So that $800,000, it's not my impression there's any shortage of projects, including multiple end-of-life roofs, like coming up here very quickly that um, the the comprehensive capital plan didn't account for. So I think we have a lot of work to do on our capital plan so that we can be good partners um, to the rest of city government um, and help ensure that the needs of our district are met um, and that we don't, you know, run into a situation where we stop maintaining things um, and find ourselves in another like pandemic situation where there's like oodles of work to do to bring buildings back to standards. So um, I'm a complete proponent of us prioritizing that capital plan in a meaningful way. Um, I'm not a structural engineer. I don't believe anybody on this committee is. So I would like, um, us to prioritize uh, that kind of expertise as we talk about uh, plans to spend significant taxpayer dollars. But also, um, I don't believe we have to wait years and years and years for that information. I do think the students that go there right now are very important and in fairness to them. And really, frankly, every student that's currently in Medford public schools, the time is now for us to move on this priority. My kids likely would not graduate from a high school that looks any different than it does today. Um, So if we're lucky, the first graders and the kindergartners might have a shot at something different, um, but only if we act. So it's incumbent on us to do that. Thank you. Thank you, Member Kratz.
6: Yes, so I just wanted to comment on everybody's views on the capital fund spending and um, next week i do have the building and ground subcommittee meeting and several of the you know capital items that are in the pre-budget this evening are on my agenda for discussion next week so um and i have communicated with mr mclaughlin a few times you know about getting estimates and sharing this information with the committee next week so um you know i'm just letting everybody know if you're interested um the subcommittee meeting will be may 26 from five to seven there are several different topics that are on the pre-budget um agenda this evening that we'll be talking about just wanted to share that information
0: thank you member kretz and then i know on june 1st which is a tuesday we will have our budget Budget hearings at same time, 7 p.m. June 1st. Mm. If there's no other questions, is there a motion to adjourn?
1: Motion to adjourn. Second.
0: Seconded by Member Kretz. Roll
1: call. Member Graham. Yes. Member Kratz. Yes. Member McLaughlin. Yes. Member Stone. Yes. Member Rousseau. Yes. Member Vandekloot. Yes. Maralongo Kern.
0: Yes. Seven the affirmative. Zero the negative. This meeting is adjourned. Have a wonderful night, everybody.
2: Bye. Bye.